Father, we're so thankful for your faithfulness in being present. And uh, we know that you have agreed and promised, committed yourself to be with us whenever we gather to worship you. And yet we also know that our hearts can be hard, our ears kind of stopped up. And so we're asking that your spirit would come now like a mighty rushing wind and catch our attention. Draw us to yourself. Father, we want to know your heart and your thoughts for us and towards us. Jesus declared that he was the good shepherd. Father, we want to understand more of that this morning. And we want to realize how important that is in our daily lives. Not just for the time when we uh, face death or go to a funeral. But what does it mean that you are a shepherd? Please teach us by your word and by your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And a hearty good morning. It is a wonderful passage we have today. And yet, uh, to really make progress with this passage, you have to understand some things about sheep and about shepherds. And uh, many of you know that I had the privilege of spending some time in Africa. And we would often fly our planes from the cities to the remote areas we called the bush. And in the bush is where you could see so many shepherds. Uh, These were guys who would keep um, sometimes camels, which takes a different skill set than keeping sheep. Sometimes cattle, and uh, you might be familiar with people like the Maasai and other groups, where they actually live with their cattle and live off of their cattle. As much as they care for them and they're passionate about those animals, they also bleed their cattle and drink the blood as part of their own life-giving experience with them. But the most interesting thing, the thing that was most common to see, was to see men and often even adolescent boys, sometimes even pre-adolescent boys, keeping sheep. Now, the trick for me in Africa was I couldn't tell the difference between the sheep and the goats, okay? They looked scrawny and kind of similar. And, I mean, if you were there, you wouldn't be able to tell either, okay? But it is important that we understand uh, a little bit about the shepherding business. I'm going to ask if we can have some help with a picture here this morning. Because you know what? There's also an inference in this passage. And that inference is David the king put himself in the place of being a sheep, And if you're really going to hear from God's word this morning, you kind of have to put on, what does it mean to be a sheep? Now, there's a little bit of a mixed review in that, because you know what? Sheep are not the brightest animals around. Not the easiest animals to shepherd, because they have a mind of their own, and they're prone to wander, prone to do foolish things, prone to get themselves in trouble. Pretty defenseless, really. And so you think, how could King David think of himself as a sheep? Well, let's find out how God might help us see ourselves as sheep as we get into this passage. So we're going to uh, jump in with the first verse here. The psalmist who knew what it meant to be a shepherd, and there's such inference and direction to Christ, who also, having grown up in Israel, knew what shepherd's work was like. And Jesus says the master carpenter, having been trained by his father, didn't want to help us understand how to relate to him by referring to himself as a carpenter. He referred to himself as the good shepherd, which gives an indication of the kind of intimacy and involvement that he intends to have with us. Well, this passage starts with, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So David starts right out by saying, let's refer to who we're talking about as Yahweh. We've been referring to that name in recent weeks as we look at the psalm. Yahweh was the God of Israel, not just a God, not just another God, but the very God who had not only created the universe, 
but had called Israel into a special covenant relationship. He made promises to them that he would watch over them and provide for them and shepherd them. And he was a promise-keeping God. And so David, who often was in trouble and often realized that he couldn't manage his own situation well, he couldn't even save his own life in certain circumstances, would turn and say, but Yahweh, the God of the universe, the God of Israel, the covenant-keeping promise is my shepherd. He's the one that gives me safety and security. And uh, that my shepherd part is kind of this identity thing. You know, the uh, shepherds would typically uh, do something with the ears or make a mark on their sheep so that it would be clear whose sheep they belong to. And uh, in the case of being identified with Christ, we identify with him in his death and resurrection. And we have the mark of the cross, you might say, in our life. But David had this strong identity. There is this God of Israel, but he's actually my shepherd. I know him. He cares about me. He cares about the particulars in my situation. And God wants to let us know that there's that intimacy available to us, a strong sense of identity there. And then he says, I shall not want. Now, some people in the health, wealth, prosperity movement would say, well, that goes to show you God doesn't want you to have any want. But actually, David had plenty of times when he had want. He was running for his life, hiding in caves, having a hard time finding water, finding food, taking care of his fellow soldiers. And so that's not what it means that there's this a life that we have with God that means we'll never have want. What it means is, again, this uh, David, the shepherd himself, is saying, since I know who my shepherd is, I don't want to go off into some other pasture. I don't want to follow another shepherd. No one else has a better system or a better way than Yahweh. He is my all in all. And having him, there's nothing else I need. I am full and rich and content in Yahweh. And that's the invitation that God has for us. He wants to be our all in all. He wants us to put aside other idols and other distractions. And there'll be a question about how well we do with that. But it goes together when David said, Yahweh, the Lord is my shepherd, because that's true... I don't have one. I don't have a need to go some other place to look for something that will satisfy. And then he goes on to say, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Some of you are probably familiar with this book by Philip Keller, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. And I've pulled ideas from this because it is helpful to understand what this language means. He makes me lie down in green pastures. In the first place, green pastures are a source of nutrients And the shepherd wants the sheep to flourish, to be healthy, to put on a healthy amount of weight, to be able to reproduce. That's what the shepherd is trying to do for the sheep. That's what God wants us to do, to be healthy, to be well-fed. And so the shepherd knows where the nourishment is, where the green pasture is. In fact, the shepherds have to work really hard to keep pastures green. They can't let the sheep overgraze or they'll kill it. They have to watch out for the weeds that come up, some of which are poisonous. They have to take care of the briars and the things that can actually cause it to be choked out so there's not life-giving grass, but instead things that the animals will just struggle with and get scrawnier and scrawnier while they struggle. And so for us to find green pastures, we have to know that our shepherd has the wisdom and the wherewithal to take us to those places that will feed our soul. But there's another interesting part of this verse, and it's when it says, He makes me lie down. Do you know how hard it is to get a sheep to lie down? I'm pretty sure most of us haven't tried that. But in essence, there are several things have to be happening for sheep to lie down. And uh, see if you relate to some of these things. The first thing is they have to be free from external fear. 
If the sheep are worried that there could be a lion or something coming, they are going to be restless and afraid and unsettled. They won't eat and they certainly won't lay down. Because the only defense a sheep has is to run. And they're not even that fast. So they get really worried when there's some enemy around. And we need that same kind of protection from God to know that He as our shepherd keeps those big, hairy, fearful things at bay for us. And so the sheep needs that. They need that sense of peace. But here's an interesting thing, church. Another thing that sheep need, something that will keep them from laying down, eating, and then resting, which is what cycle causes them to grow the most healthy. And that is when they have squibbles among themselves. Do you know sheep um, oftentimes won't lay down, won't even feed well because they're too busy getting in each other's business. We think about during mating season what the rams will do when they want to separate the ewes out for themselves and they will go and butt heads and actually hurt one another. At some points they can even kill other sheep. And so the shepherd, uh, this particular shepherd, his trick was to take axle grease and put it on the heads of his rams. And when they would butt heads, they would slide off and no damage. They couldn't get any traction. It was kind of a frustrating exercise for them. So he kept them, as a shepherd, from deeply hurting one another. But he said his real problem wasn't with the rams. And you're going to excuse me, but I'm getting it out of the book here, okay? His real problem was with the older ewes, okay? The female sheep who were bossy and who always had to be in charge. And they would go along, and if some sheep was finding a nice grazing point, they would go and just keep bumping them off of that grazing point. And some sheep is getting a nice place to get a drink of water, and they would go and bump and be territorial with that thing. They could be most annoying, because they wanted to exert their right to be noticed, their right to their place. They wanted the other sheep to know that they were the boss sheep. And so sometimes the shepherd has to discipline them in order for there to be peace among the sheep. Does that sound like something that could happen in a church situation? Sometimes we have competition. Sometimes we're so anxious that people take us seriously and respect us. Give me space. And if they won't, then I will butt heads with them. Or at least I'll get alongside and push them away, push them alongside. And basically this call for sheep to lie down requires that the shepherd bring a sense of peace among the flock. And uh, that's important for us as a church as well. Well, they needed freedom from uh, outside fears. They needed freedom from that internal friction. They needed freedom from hunger. They needed good grass so that they could be full before they would rest. And they also needed freedom from pests, which we'll talk about again. But flies and little bugs could make them crazy. And they would not lie down, which meant they weren't going to feed well and rest well and grow strong unless he could deal with that problem. The psalmist goes on to say, He leads me beside still waters. Another picture of sheep who can get themselves in a lot of trouble. And the shepherd has to know where the good watering holes are. You know, once they get a lot of fur on them, a lot of wool, if they get in the water, especially in running water, it can be so heavy and so much weight that it can actually drown them. It's danger to them to have fast running water. But it's also a danger to them to drink muddy, contaminated, parasitic water, which was their tendency. So the shepherd sometimes would have to make a little dam along a stream to get a quiet pool that would go out from the stream so there's a place to bring his sheep. He had to do all these tricks. And the shepherd could be bringing his sheep to this good water that would be life-giving, that would sustain them, that was as important as their food. And while he's bringing them there, they pass some muddy, contaminated water, and the sheep want to drink that muddy water. And he might have to use his rod and his staff to keep them away from that water. And you know what? That's just like us. 
we're prone to drink nasty water. Jeremiah 2.13 says an interesting thing about us. God says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. And they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. What is that a picture of? Well, in the first place, we turn our back on God. Instead of thinking, I can get my identity, I can get my encouragement, I can get my heart filled with His love and His mercy and His grace, and I can get it no other place because He's the pure water. Jesus described Himself as the living water. He told the woman at the well, if you could drink this water, you'll never thirst again. She said, give me that water. And so God says, I myself am that water, but you keep turning and looking other places. What's that look like? It looks like us thinking, my career is really the place that I'll get satisfaction. Having enough money, having certain things, having certain experiences, that's what will satisfy. Otherwise, life's not very satisfying. And sometimes this leads us into a uh, disparity of chasing after things. This didn't satisfy me, I'll try that. This didn't satisfy, so pretty soon I'm having to have bigger and bigger experiences. Perhaps it gets me into illegal things, illicit things. Looking to uh, you know, alcohol and uh, sexual experiences and a whole lot of other things that are foul places. And I'm taking that into my heart thinking, if I could have that, I'd be satisfied. My life isn't very good, but if I could have that, I'd really be satisfied. And God is saying, you know what? That stuff is going to make you sick. I don't tell you to stay away from that because I'm a killjoy. I tell you to stay away from that sin because it's going to make you sick. You won't prosper. You won't thrive. And sure enough, if we've watched somebody else do it, we see how they diminish and how that sin makes them a smaller and smaller person, more and more desperate, less and less content and satisfied. But guess what? We're kind of sheep, aren't we? Prone to wander. Here's the Lord puts this good pasture out in front of us and we're sticking our head through the fence trying to eat something from our neighbors. It's just the way we are. And this passage calls out for us to let the shepherd direct us to this good living water. Well, then he goes on to say, he restores my soul. This is an interesting picture that relates to uh, the life of a sheep. Sheep are not the most athletic animals in the animal kingdom. I think probably cats or something else have that. uh, I'll let you decide, but it certainly isn't sheep. But what happens with sheep is they might find that there's a a low place, maybe even in, in their pasture, maybe along a stream, some place that looks comfortable for them to lay down, maybe a place they think that they'll rest better and be away from bugs even, and they lay down in that low place. But if they mistakenly get their legs in the wrong position, guess what? They can't get up again. If their legs get too high, they're like a turtle on its back, and they get desperate, and they'll be kicking and pawing and going through all kinds of energy, and the longer they lay on their back... Um, the more paralyzed they get. Their legs get stiff. They can't move them anymore. They cannot help themselves. The uh, expression of this from the shepherds is when a sheep is cast down. Interesting expression, isn't it? So you picture a sheep that is basically in that hopeless and helpless position. What's the shepherd to do? Well, some of us would think, if we think of God in the wrong way, I think God probably finds me. If I'm cast down, he's probably going to say, well, it's your own fault. I'm leaving you alone. But you know what the shepherd does? The shepherd is constantly counting his sheep. Oh, I had a hundred. I can't remember. I mean, he knows them by name. But instead of saying, did I see Ethel this afternoon? He just keeps counting, keeps counting every time they come in, every time they go out. And if he's short a sheep, he right away goes out to look. 
And see, is one of my sheep cast down? Because if I don't find it, it's going to die. And so the shepherd goes and looks and looks, and he'll go into the night. He knows the longer the time goes, the more dangerous it is. And when a shepherd finds that sheep, he rejoices. And he runs to that sheep because he wants to capture that sheep while it's still alive. And the sheep, having been upside down too long, won't be able to get up, won't be able to stand. And so the shepherd takes the sheep and turns it on its legs, holds it between his legs, and starts massaging it. Massaging the shoulders and the back and then down the legs to try to get the circulation back. Can you picture the comfort? That sheep thought it was going to die. And all of a sudden, it's held between the shepherd's legs, and it's getting massaged, and the circulation's coming back until it can run back to the rest of the flock after that. And so when the Bible says, when King David said, you know what, this is what God does for me. He comes after me. He restores my soul. Maybe you're here this morning, and you feel like, you know what, I think I'm cast down. I think I'm in a bad way, and I don't think I can help myself. What you need to know is the heart of our shepherd king is to come after you. And not to come after you to judge you and to criticize you, but to put you back on your feet and to massage life back into you and to bring you back to be with the flock. It's the grace of our God at work, and this is a wonderful picture of that. He restores my soul. Then it goes on to say, He guides me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. In other words, he has ways that are intended for my good and for his honor. Now, the shepherd, one of the main jobs they had was to be looking ahead. Okay, we're pasturing here, but we don't have much more time or we're going to ruin this grass. We're going to eat it too low. So I've got to know where I'm going to take the sheep next and how I'm going to get there. What way can I take them? And how do I find water for them and food for them along the way until we get to the next pasture? And so that's the shepherd's job. And this picture is here of a shepherd directing, a shepherd giving uh, indications of where we should go. But you think sheep are good at following? What do you think? You know what? Sheep, they like it where they are. Sheep don't like change. Now, does that sound like something that could happen in a church? You know, just leave me here. But you don't understand. If you stay there, you're going to kill the grass. There's not going to be nourishment for you. There's not going to be spiritual food. You're not going to grow and thrive and reproduce. You've got to move on to a better pasture. I like it here. I don't want to go. That's what the rod is for sometimes. We're going. We're going. We have to go over there. And so God, in his mercy, uh, directs us. But I'm telling you, it makes a lot more sense to be a sheep who follows the master. And many do. Many know that the shepherd could just start walking and talking, and they would hear his voice, and they would follow after where the master goes. And that's the picture that we want to be true of us. And that's what David understood here, that he basically leads me in these paths of righteousness. And the picture of righteousness is not just um, some kind of rule-keeping that he leads me in. But you see, righteousness is an avoidance of those sinful, destructive things, and it taking us to those things which are good and nourishing and uplifting for us. God so desires that we thrive. I don't know if you walked in here this morning aware of that. God wants us as a church to thrive. He wants you in your relationship with Him to thrive. He wants health in that. He wants growth in that area. And He sometimes has to take us in hard places, in places that might even be scary, to get us to the place where we can grow the most, have the most advantageous um, grasp, basically. And so here's that picture. He leads me and guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It is what God wants, and it is for his glory. 
We just happen to get a big benefit. Well, then it says also that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. This is our classic funeral passage. And it is relevant to talk about uh, at a time when someone is facing death or uh, has experienced the death of a loved one. But this is so true of life as well. You see, these sheep, when they were passing through the valley of the shadow of death, it could be they were going through a narrow valley with steep uh, walls, which made it dark, and where there could be predators in there, and it could be scary. But that was the way to the better pasture. It was often the way through the valley up into the hills where the really good summer pasture was. And so this is for life, not just for death, when it says that he basically will lead me through the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, I've mentioned a few times that uh, quite a few years ago, 19 years ago now, I had cancer and had a surgery. And then after the surgery, they were checking the blood markers to see if they got it all. And the blood markers just kept increasing even after the surgery. So I said, okay, we know now for sure the cancer's in your lymph system at least. So the bad news is it's really fast-growing cancer. The good news is we have chemotherapy that's effective against fast-growing cancer. But by the way, that chemo is pretty nasty. Four months of five days a week chemotherapy, seven hours a day. So you need to come to this clinic. We'll put you in a nice lane recliner, hook you up to IVs seven hours a day for four months. And uh, after we got, there was about three drugs I was getting, and some of them were what they called heavy metals, so they had to give me narcotics so that my body wouldn't reject those heavy metals. And uh, just so you know, my exercise for those four months was to start by reading the 23rd Psalm every morning. I would sit in that lane recliner, and I would go through this psalm every day and remember the truths of these words that he will lead me through the valley of the shadow of death. And most importantly, the significant part of this, he will be with me. He was there. And I don't know what your journey is. I don't know how many of you are passing through a hard place, facing a hard place, health-wise, relationship-wise. So many other things can cause us to be in a hard place. But the shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ himself, has declared, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you wherever you go. And it is his promise and his faithful promise to do that. The doctors actually warned me that uh, because of the chemotherapy, I would get depressed. And it is true, you lose your energy. And if you don't have energy, you don't really want to go to a party. I, I remember that being true. But by God's grace and his tender mercies, that ended up being a special time in my life in my walk with Christ. And I never got depressed. It was a really interesting time. And I just want you to know, God is sufficient for whatever journey you're journeying. His grace is sufficient. It is true what the psalmist writes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Some of you would know the stories of uh, many other martyrs, but I think of the Anglican reformers, who uh, they had a lot of trouble, actually, in those times in Europe. You know, they couldn't decide whether they were going to be Catholic or leave the Catholic Church and become the England Church of England and all those battles. And sometimes these guys who are trying to theologically give a groundwork for a reformation in England were popular and the king was supporting them. And sometimes they were thrown in jail and treated as heretics. It was a hard, hard time. A couple of them ended up uh, losing their lives for their faith. And so there was these two reformers, Latimer and Ridley. And they were being burned at the stake in Oxford. A famous place, famous story. And you can imagine, you talk about passing through the valley of the shadow of death. You're on your way to be executed. 
in a way that's excruciating and horrible and a public humiliation for all your life and all your work and all you've tried to do is serve God and serve the church and you're about to be burned at the stake. And yet, God was with them. And so, uh, this famous quote comes from Latimer encouraging Ridley with these words. Be of good comfort, Mr. Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. That's a man that knew his shepherd's presence. That's a man that knew what it meant to experience the grace of God in the midst of serious trouble. And that's the same grace that's on offer to us these days. He goes on to say, when he said, for you are with me, he said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now in Kenya, these guys dig up a sapling when they want to make a rod. And they get one that might be anywhere from an inch to two inches thick. And they take the root bulb and they cut that off so that there's kind of a a gnarly ball on the end of this two to two and a half foot long uh, stick. And then they practice throwing those things. And they get quite good at it. And they can take on a a lot of enemies. They use it as a club. They use it as a throwing weapon. They also use it sometimes to discipline the sheep. You know, if there's some of those used that are causing too much trouble, they can actually throw it, not intending to hurt, but intending to warn, intending to cause their attention to be drawn to the fact that, hey, the shepherd's here. Listen up. Quit that fussing. And so God does have a rod. And he has that discipline. He has that authority in our lives. He delivers that to us through the word. When we know what God wants and what God expects. And he can discipline and instruct us through his word. But he also has a staff. Staff's a wonderful thing. You know, that's the classic picture we have of those bent sticks. They're usually pretty thin. And the shepherds can use them to get a sheep out of a pickle. You know, if they're down in a little ravine or they're stuck in thorns or any kind of a situation like that. They use them for all kind of things. But they don't use them to hit and discipline the sheep normally. They just use them to comfort and to help and to assist. And uh, this Keller tells a story of some of the shepherds he knew that had such a close relationship with their sheep, they would be walking along and they'd have their staff and they would just put the staff up against the side of the sheep and they would walk that way. And the sheep would lean into the staff and the shepherd would walk. So it's like walking, it's like watching a shepherd and a sheep walk hand in hand. That's what that staff was. It was that much of a comfort to the sheep. And so God wants us to know, maybe you feel like God is really distant from you. God wants to be close to you. God cares intimately about the details of your life. I'm not kidding you. As a church, we want to help you learn to walk in touch with the shepherd more and more. We want to see his um, rod, the word of God, and the disciplines used in our church. We also want to see the staff, that comforting, intimate tool that draws us close to God, used more and more effectively. He goes on to say, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You not only sustain me, But even in the presence of my enemies, when things look grim, you bring me to this place of abundance. He goes on to say, You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Do you see the progression here? You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, which is the thing the shepherd used to keep those nasty bugs away. And to bring healing and wholeness to their animals. And my cup overflows. If you've got a picture of a shepherd who wants his sheep to thrive, and a healthy herd, what you're going to see is animals. You know, a baby lamb can gain 100 pounds in 100 days if it's well taken care of and has good grazing. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? And that's what the shepherd wants. And so here's a picture of God wanting us to thrive 
and be blessed and be enriched. And David said, my cup overflows. And you come back to Jesus, and you know what Jesus said? He said, uh, basically, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. And then he reminds us, if you wonder if I love you, if you wonder if I care, let me remind you, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's how much he loves us. That's the price he paid to purchase us. So if you think, well, do you think he really cares enough to walk with me through my junk and to get me out of the thorns and to get me when I'm on my back in the mud? Yes, he does. He's committed himself to you. We have a God who is a good shepherd, compassionate, desiring to be close to us. And then it closes with saying, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, if the shepherd was taking these animals out, and there's kind of a seasonal flow to this, out through the valley of the shadow of death and up to the higher, greener pasture where they could spend the summer and gain weight and and raise their lambs and all those things, and then they get to autumn and they're at their best weight and it's been a great season and they're well fed, but winter's coming. Darkness is coming. Cold is coming. What happens then? What happens then is they come back off the mountain. They make their way back to the ranch. And at the ranch is the barn. If any of you have ever had, like, horses or domestic animals, sometimes they just go for the barn, don't they? Sometimes you can't stop them. I've fallen off of horses that were more interested in getting to the barn than what I wanted to do. And in essence, what God is saying to us, I know you're going to go full cycle. You're going to go through spring and summer and fall, and you're going to come to winter. But when you come to winter... It's not the end. You're not going to freeze up there in the mountain. I'm taking you back to that place of safety and provision and security that I have built for you. And that's exactly what God is doing for us. You know, this whole thing of facing death is a challenge, isn't it? Uh, You know, when I'm speaking to younger people, I wonder if they even can imagine. Because sometimes I think they think death is for old people. It doesn't happen to someone like me. But actually, I found that when we buried my grandparents... It seemed like it was a natural thing because, you know what, grandparents are always old. That's what you think as a kid. But when I buried my parents, it was a different feel. And you start realizing, you know what, this is the course that we all go on. This is the way we're all going. It is the natural course of events. My turn is next as a generation. My parents are gone. And this whole passage, the psalmist knew, you know what, regardless of the life issues that we have to pass through, our good shepherd has prepared a place for us. And he's going to take us to that place. And that's a place of ultimate provision. Freedom from pain and suffering and cold and all those things. And so the psalmist's heart could be full of joy, even though he knew that was going to be his issue. Well, my question for you is, how close are you walking with the shepherd? This one who loves you so much, wants to be intimate. Do you keep him at a distance? Are you looking every place else and every other pasture for satisfaction? Or do you run to God? Are you able to say with the psalmist, the Lord, Yahweh, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I ask that we put the picture back up there just to remind us of these sheep. That's what we are. A really smart sheep knows it needs a shepherd. A really fortunate sheep knows it has a great shepherd who cares intimately for it. And, you know, what about us pastors? Some people call pastors shepherds, and we are what we call under-shepherds. We have some of the same responsibilities to try to make sure the fears, the attacks on the church are kept at a distance, the attacks on individual families are kept at a distance. 
We have a need to bring you to good feeding, which is to bring you to God's Word, and to good fellowship and to good worship, where our hearts can be filled and we can grow in health. We have a need to quiet down some of the inner fighting and the bitterness and the competition and all those things so that our church can thrive. But I'll tell you the truth. Your shepherds need a shepherd. We need Christ. And the best thing we can do as your shepherds is to help you be closer to Christ, the great shepherd. There's no better thing that we do ministry-wise than helping you respond to the love of Christ, experience the love of Christ, and walk in the love of Christ. That's our desire. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for this incredible picture of you as a shepherd taking such good care of us. And Lord, I know there'll be some people here who don't have that sense of your closeness. And I pray by your spirit you administer them even now. Draw them to yourself. May they be reminded of your love and your care. And there's a lot of us, Father, that have been distracted. We've been looking other places for things to satisfy our hearts. We confess that and ask that you would help us to quit going to those broken cisterns and to come to you, the living water. And Father, as a church, we're asking that we would be a place where health can abound, where we have good nourishment here in your word and by your spirit in our worship and fellowship, and where all the squibbling and all the problems and all the things that keep us from growing uh, can be put aside. Father, we want to reproduce as a church. We want you to be honored by the fact that we are so healthy that we're bringing other people to learn about your great love. So help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.